Hi, welcome to New Hope Community Church Online. The sermon you are about to hear was originally given by Pastor Chuck Wilson. New Hope Community Church, to know, to live, and to share Jesus Christ. The title for today is Turning Failure into Success. Turning Failure into Success. Joshua 8, 10 to 27. Now this last week we remembered a very important event 9-11, right? We remember that. And it's interesting because 9-11 always reminds me of Pearl Harbor. Some of you remember Pearl Harbor, all right? Some of you remember that. Um, Interesting, Mary Ellis, who's just moving back, Mary Ellis actually was a mile away from Pearl Harbor when it was hit. Her father was in the Navy, and the, the, the bomb started falling, and she remembers it very well. She was a little girl, and her dad was out on a, had just gone out of a, away from Pearl Harbor a short distance that, the day before, and then he ended up coming back in and towing the damaged ships out, and he decided to send his, Mary Allison and her mother to be safe, she, he decided to send them to San Francisco very quickly. They got on the ship. They're heading to San Francisco. And she said a a torpedo just missed their ship. Just missed their ship. They almost sunk. So wild story. Uh, She remembers it. And also interestingly, Yoshi was in Japan, a little girl in Japan at this time. And she could tell you stories about, you know, the end of the war. You know, Mary Alice, the beginning, Yoshi, the end of the war, some very wild stories. And, And interesting that God brought what are the odds that Mary Alice and Yoshi would be here together in our church? And they ended up best friends, you know. They're very, very close friends. Talk on the phone. Yoshi's always giving me updates on when Mary Alice is getting back here. But isn't that interesting that, that how God brings these two little girls who had gone through so much now as grown ladies here to the church. But the, the, the whole thing with um, the Pearl Harbor was, it was, as you know from history, it's our worst defeat ever. The USA was not ready for war, even though we had been warned many, many times we had been warned that the war was coming. But remember last week we talked about how all of us, all, who, all Christians are in a spiritual war and how important it is that we put on our armor and that we fight. How many put on their armor this week? Anybody pray through the armor? Good, 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 good. Pray through that armor constantly, constantly putting that on. But with back to the USA, it took Pearl Harbor to wake us up. It woke up our military, woke up our fighting spirit, our patriotism, woke up the work and production. We produced so many things for the war. And we talked about last week learning from our defeats, learning from our defeats, learning from our spiritual flops, our spiritual setbacks. And that's what happened with the U.S. It ended up learning and wins the war, becomes a superpower, all because of Pearl Harbor. Pearl Harbor was very important to our... What, who we've become. And it's the same thing spiritually. Our greatest defeat in Pearl Harbor led it to our greatest success. And, and, and I hope the same thing happens with 9-11. You know, the jury's still out. I hope we wake up spiritually. I believe God is speaking to us spiritually because of 9-11. Right now it doesn't look good, but we're praying, we're praying, right? But the God, God does the same thing with each one of us. Just like Pearl Harbor, just like we, we hope it happens with 9-11. God does the same thing with each one of us. He takes our spiritual failures, our, our worst failures. He takes the worst thing that has ever happened, that we've ever messed up on, and he can turn it into our greatest success. Our greatest success. Maybe you're here and you've really messed up. 
We all have, haven't we? <laughs> Every one of us could tell lots of stories about how we've really messed up. It, but God can take that mess up and turn it into something beautiful. That's what we're going to see here today in Joshua chapter 8. We, if you missed Joshua 8, you can catch up and, and uh Joshua 7, Joshua 8, catch up what's been going on. They were having spiritual victory. They were having victory after victory. Then they were, they were disobedient. Then what followed? Defeat. Then what followed? Discipline. Sound familiar to anybody here? Uh, and then God gave them a second chance. We talk about second chances. Once when go back to the podcast or get the CDs. Then he did corrective surgery on them. He refined them. And last week we talked about learning from our defeats. And now we're going to talk about turning our failure into success here from Joshua chapter 8. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the hope that we have in your word that we just sang about and worshipped through how you take our failures and you put them on the cross of your son Jesus. Lord, we pray that whatever we've struggled with, whatever we are struggling with, whatever has defeated us, that today, Lord, that your spirit would give us hope and we would take a step forward in our spiritual walk, a step forward out of discipline in the spiritual victory. We pray that your Holy Spirit would speak to each one of us. I pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, let me pick up the, the passage. We'll start with verse 10, and then we'll get into it up. It says, early the next morning, Joshua mustered his men, and he and the leaders of the Israelites marched before them to Ai. The entire force that was with them marched up and approached the city and arrived in front of it. They set up camp north of Ai with a valley between them and the city. Joshua had taken about 5,000 men and set them in ambush between Bethel and Ai to the west of the city. They had the soldiers take up their positions, all those in the camp to the north of the city, and the ambush to the west of it. That night, Joshua went into the valley. And I'm just going to stop there, Rebecca, because uh, I'm going to do each section as we go. The first thing, verses 10 to 13, and we're going to see the steps. There's some steps, spiritual steps here I think that we can learn for, to. Turning our failures into success. Turning our failures into success. And the first step here in these first few verses is to stay humble stay humble why do they say stay humble because he sets up an ambush god sends joshua and tells them to do an ambush and this was very humiliating to them this was humbling you're going to hide from the enemy you're going to sneak up and stab him in the back all right and and they didn't need to do an ambush. They brought the whole army this time. They brought this huge army. And they also knew that God could have just knocked down the walls. Remember Jericho? Knock them down. They don't even need to do this. But God was teaching them a very important lesson on humility here. Humility. He was keeping their pride in check. Remember the first battle when they first came up against the AI? What did they say? <laughs> we don't need you, God. They didn't even talk to God. They just planned it. And we don't need many people. We can handle this ourselves, right? We don't need God. But God let them be humble through the discipline and the defeat. And now he often, he, and the same thing he does with us, he often humbles us. He lets us fall on our faces. 
Maybe you could relate to that. All right, he lets us fall on our faces, and then he keeps putting us in humbling situations. Not only did they let him get beat, but then he makes them do an ambush. He, he keeps putting us in humbling situations to keep us humble, to keep us on our faces. If uh, you've ever had kids, you know how kids can keep humbling us, are great at humbling us, right? Uh, they, uh, God knew I needed to be humbled extra, you know, with 13 kids, obviously. And have they ever humbled us? It totally changed. I remember when I had the first child and then the 13th, and, and Kim and I talk about this all the time, how we were totally changed. How when we first had kids, we had all these expectations, and they're going to do this, and they're going to do that. And by the 13th, we didn't have expectations anymore. It doesn't take 13. You could have, go from one to three and still get there, right? You know what I'm talking about. You could just do it with one. <laughs> you know, God can do it with one. In Instead of having expectations, now we're just thankful <laughs> for the positives. You know, we don't expect anything. We're just thankful for the positives. And, and kids have kept us humble, kept me very humble. We've learned, instead of expectations, instead to have grace-based parenting. Grace-based parenting. There's a good book on that. And living by grace. And most of that I learned from my kids. I should write a book, right? All that, you know, those books, all I could learn from kindergarten and everything I need to life. Everything I need is from 13 kids, right? But so God puts, keeps us humble. He keeps us humble. Step number two is in Joshua 8, 14 to 17. When the king of Ai saw this, he and all the men of the city hurried out early in the morning to meet Israel in battle at a certain place overlooking the Arabah. But he did not know that an ambush had been set against him behind the city. Joshua and all the Israelites let themselves be driven back before them, and they fled toward the desert. All the men of Ai were called to pursue them, and they pursued Joshua, and they were lured away from the city. Not a man remained in Ai or Bethel who did not go after Israel. They left the city wide open and went in pursuit of Israel. Now, here, I'm going to call this not only staying humble, but the second step is stay obedient. Stay obedient. Why do I say that? Well, this seems crazy, right? They didn't have to do that. They could have, they could have won this battle without doing this ambush, but they were obedient. They were obedient. And not just that, but earlier we saw that. Um, I'm just going to read back a little bit where... Um, well, I'm just going to tell you. Remember we talk, saw last week how they had to march in the dark? They had to go back in the dark and they had to walk in the dark and march in the dark. And then they had to do this, this whole rigmarole, go through this whole crazy strategy that didn't really make any kind of sense. doesn't make any sense. Marching in the, in the dark armies just didn't do that. Uh, they, but we, it's still difficult, even today, marching in the dark. But God often, God often keeps us in the dark. And he often calls us to do something crazy like running away from the enemy, right? Running away from the enemy. It doesn't make any sense. He, 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 we, we often find ourselves saying, what are you doing, God? What are you doing? You ever say that? God, what are you doing? I've said it a few times today. <laughs> I've said it several times today. God, what are you doing? The one thing we know for sure between the walking, marching in the dark, which we talked about last week, and God keeping us in the dark, and the one thing we know about them running away from the enemy, the one thing we know is that God is testing our 
obedience. He's teaching us obedience. It's the one thing we know for sure. Next time God keeps you in the dark, next time it doesn't make any sense why you're having to, you know, run away and do something crazy that doesn't make any spiritual sense, doesn't make any emotional, mental sense to you. The thing that we know is for sure is that God is teaching us obedience and he's testing us, testing our obedience. And this is a vital step. If we want to turn our past failure into success today, we have to do that. And the next step is also very important. Step number three, verse 18, where it says, The Lord said to Joshua, Hold out toward Ai the javelin that is in your hand, for into your hand I will deliver the city. So Joshua held out his javelin toward Ai. As soon as he did this, the men in the ambush rose quickly from their position and rushed forward. They entered the city and captured it and set it on fire. Stay humble, stay obedient, and now we see stay dependent. Stay dependent. The first time, they didn't even bring Joshua with them to the battle, right? This time, they bring him to the battle. And they, and they waited. Not only did they bring him to the battle, they followed him to the battle. But not only that, they waited. It was, it was, they waited till he raised the spear. This time, it's complete dependence. Complete dependence. They didn't do anything till he said to go. They waited till he showed up. They waited till he pointed the spear. They, they took all their directions for this battle right from Joshua. And don't forget who Joshua is, a representative of for us. Jesus, same exact word, Hebrew, Greek, Joshua, Jesus, same word, God saves, God is salvation. And they, but we today must wait for Jesus to point the way and to give the okay in every area of life. Whether it's witnessing out in the boardwalk, whether it's, you know, whether it's what, something with our kids, whether it's work, whether it's taking a job, what, whatever it is, it's waiting for God's okay. And what do we like to do? We like to just go ahead and do it, right? We like to make our own decisions. We like to, we, as soon as things start going well, what do we do? We start doing it on our own. And God constantly has to remind us that we have to be completely dependent on Jesus in every area of our life. Step number four, Joshua 8, 20 to 27. The men of Ai looked back and saw the smoke of the city rising against the sky, but they had no chance to escape in any direction, for the Israelites who had been fleeing toward the desert had turned back against their pursuers. For when Joshua and all Israel saw that the ambush had taken the city and that smoke was going up from the city, they turned around and and attacked them. The men of the ambush also came out of the city against them so that they were caught in the middle with the Israelites on both sides. Israel cut them down, leaving them neither survivors nor fugitives, but they took the king of Ai alive and brought him to Joshua. When Israel had finished killing all the men of Ai in the fields and in the desert where they had chased them, and when every one of them had put to the sword, all Israel returned to Ai and killed those who were in it. Twelve thousand men and women fell that day, all the people of Ai, for Joshua did not draw back the hand that held out the javelin until he had destroyed all who lived in Ai. But Israel did carry off for themselves the livestock and plunder of the city as the Lord had instructed them. Then we talked about last week how he hung the king of Ai in the tree and the whole thing killed him too. Wow, that's kind of mean, right? Remember though, this is a picture, a spiritual 
picture of our spiritual battle. It's a physical picture of our spiritual battle. The Canaanites, as we already talked about, and once again, go back and listen to uh, uh, Apocalypse, God's Judgment. The Canaanites that we already talked about were under God's judgment. They had crossed the line of grace. The entire land had crossed the line of grace. The sin had gotten too full, too much. The sin of the Amorites had reached its full measure. Remember in Genesis. So God, they're under God's judgment, but also, and this is for us here, the Canaanites and the people of Ai are a picture. Ai is a picture of the strongholds in our life that need to be knocked down. The people of Ai and the Canaanites are a picture of sin. They're a type of sin, a picture of sin. And we... This is an important lesson for us. We must break down the strongholds in our life. Whatever our spiritual strongholds are. You're probably thinking of some right now. I know I am. We have to break down those enemy cities in our lives. And not only that, we must drive out or kill every Canaanite in our life. Every sin in our life. We can't let one stay in the land. We can't let one live if we, because they are our enemies. And if we let them stay, they will haunt us. They will haunt us if we let them stay in the land. In fact, in Numbers 33, he gave them a warning. Very, very important warning, which they didn't listen to. But Numbers 33, verse 51. He, he said, speak to the Israelites. And say to them, when you cross the Jordan into Canaan, now get this, drive out all the inhabitants of the land before you. Destroy all their carved images and their cast idols and demolish all their high places. Take possession of the land and settle on it, for I've given you the land to possess. This is a picture of our spiritual life. Of the, uh, of the spiritual territory that God has given us, of the victory that we're supposed to live in. But he says, verse 55, but if you do not drive out the inhabitants of the land, those you allow to remain will become barbs in your eyes and thorns in your sides. They will give you trouble in the land where you will live, and then I will do to you what I plan to do to them. That is for us. Just as they had to drive out and, and, and kill the Canaanites, we must knock down the strongholds and we must drive, drive, get rid of the sin in our life. We have to be brutal with it. And that's the only way that God can turn our failures into success is holiness. Stay holy. In the church today, I'll say the newest generation coming up, there's no concept of holiness. There's only a belief that God is love. He's love. And he doesn't discipline. He doesn't punish. Doesn't do it. Because God is love. Let me assure you of something. Before God's love comes God's holiness. Holiness. If you read the Bible from start to finish, what jumps out at us first is God's holiness. That's what drove him to act in love and sacrifice his only son on a cross to be brutally murdered in our place. His holiness. And then, once we respond to God's holiness, we receive God's love. God does love us, but he will never sacrifice his holiness for that love. He can't. It's who he is. Very, very important. And I'm, I'm scared for our country. 
I'm scared for the church in America. I'm scared for individuals when I talk to them and they've been brainwashed by the culture that God doesn't care what we do. He just loves us and he's, he, we can live any way we want. And it doesn't matter if we pray to a rock or to a false god or we join a cult. We're all going to get to him someday. And, and it doesn't matter what we do in our life because he made us that way. And it doesn't matter what we do. He just loves us, you know. And listen, God is holy and he does discipline and there is judgment, but he also loves us tremendously, which is why he sent his son Jesus to die for us. Very, very important that we understand. Not only do we have to be pendant, not only do we have to be obedient, not only do we have to stay humble, but we have to f- make holiness a vital part of our life, of our spiritual battle, is, is holiness. Very, very important. How about us? Do we really want God to turn around our lives? Do we want him to turn our failures into success? How have we failed? Maybe maybe you're failing in class, in school. Maybe you failed out of college. Maybe you're failing at your job or you've even been fired. Maybe your marriage is failing or you've already failed, you're already divorced. Maybe you're failing as a parent or at least you feel like a a failure as a parent and your kids are very happy to point that out over and over and over again every time you mess up. Maybe Maybe you have failed with your calling. Your purpose, you've wasted the potential, potential that God has given you in your life. Maybe you failed spiritually. Maybe you're living a life of spiritual defeat. You have not de- knocked the strongholds out. You have sin and strongholds in your life. You've fallen away from God. Maybe all these things have happened. But today, today, no matter how we have failed, and I've just touched the top of the iceberg here, right? Tip of the iceberg. No matter what we've done, we, this our life can turn around if we will be humble before God, if we will take the step of obedience, if we will be dependent on him, and we will commit ourselves to holiness. We can turn our... God, no, God can turn our life completely around. He wants to turn our failures into success. That's why Jesus died for us. That's God's love. That's why he died for us. He wants to. Will we let him? But we need God's perspective to do this. Completely his perspective. We have to know who God really is. And what he really wants for our life. It's in his word. Don't listen to the world. Don't listen to the media. Don't listen to the garbage. Don't watch TV. Read God's word if you want to know what God's perspective is. It's a whole different perspective. And with God's perspective, our biggest defeat our greatest shame can be the greatest blessing in our life and to other people's lives understand that your biggest defeat your biggest failure can become god's grace vessel of grace and the greatest blessing to meant to you to your your family and to many many other people that temptation that you have struggled with can now you can now help other people struggling with that temptation you think you're the only one? No. No temptation sees you except what is common to man. That sin that you fell to and are now fighting can prepare you for a much bigger spiritual battle that you're going to have to fight. That child born out of wedlock can become a blessing to many other people. That loss you experienced can open doors to encourage so many other people. God can take the biggest failure and turn it into the biggest blessing. There's a story that hit me as I was 
doing this, and I, some of you may have heard this, but it's just a powerful story. Joseph Damien, he was a Belgian priest. 1873, he went to Hawaii to work with lepers. He began trying to build friendships with the lepers, the leper colony in, in Hawaii, the, the leper colony, but they rejected him. They kept rejecting him. He poured himself into the ministry, building a small chapel, holding worship services, but hardly any of the lepers would come. They wouldn't come. After 12 long years, he gave up. He said, I'm going home, God. These people don't want my help. I can't help them. I can't reach them. I'm going home. While standing on the pier about to board the ship that would take him back to Belgium, he noticed something on his hands. Some white spots. That he knew could only mean one thing. He had contracted leprosy. So instead of going home, he stayed. He returned to his work in the leper colony. The news of the missionary's disease spread like wildfire. Within hours, soon the lepers, hundreds of them, had gathered outside his hut. The same ones who wouldn't even talk to him before were now flocking to him. They now knew that he understood their pain and despair. The following Sunday, that chapel was filled to overflowing. People lined up outside. And this was the beginning of a long and fruitful ministry for Joseph Damien, the leper priest. What made the difference? They knew he understood. And he was transparent. He shared, hey, I have leprosy too. That's what made the difference. That's the different perspective that we can have when we realize that God, the failure that we have, that God knows how to turn our mess-ups. God knows how to turn our failures. He knows how to turn our weaknesses into blessing. Talked about this many times, Romans 8, 28. I hope you have it memorized. And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. God works that in all things, in all things, God works for the good of those who love him. He can take anything. The question is, will we learn from our mistakes? Will we let God refine us? That's an important piece. We've been talking about this, right? The corrective surgery. Will we let him refine us? Will we let him then turn our failures into success? Will we let him do that? A big way I've learned that
a lot of you know about Ryan and him dying. The mistakes he made. His are obvious. But, but I made a lot of mistakes too. And talking to Ryan the last few years, I was like, Ryan, you got 100% of my love because he's the only one I had for a couple years. But you got about 75% of my parenting mistakes. And in the last few years, we talked a lot about it and asked for forgiveness many times. We had some really good long talks. And he forgave me and I forgave him. And he said, Dad, you, you, you didn't, you did you did most things well. <laughs> but I made some big mistakes. And I also asked God to help me. And he gave me lots of practice with 12 more kids. And when Ryan came back to, to live with us for a few months, a couple years ago, you know, some of you know he was back living with us for a while. He was surprised at the changes. He's like, just surprised at a lot of changes. He was surprised I didn't do a lot of things with the kids I used to do. I said, it's because I'm old. And, uh, he's, but he also was surprised at a lot of the changes I made with the little kids, the littles we call them. And we really had a chance to talk through, because it's important when we make mistakes, to tell people we're sorry and to ask for forgiveness. Even if they, well, they already know. No, they, it's important. Really important. And then I got another chance to make things right with baby Laurel. You know, Ryan never came back. My, my dream was, oh, Ryan's going to come back now. Got this baby, and we had this new bond together. We had so much fun together. And I just thought, I see he's coming back. He's going to beat the drugs and come back. And we're going to have that close relationship we had years ago. But he never came back because of the drugs and dying of the drugs. He, he never got to come back, but in a way he did come back because because the baby was a chance for a do-over with Ryan. I mean, what are the odds? A year ago, would we think that we're going to have this baby living with us and not Ryan wouldn't be here? You never would have dreamed it, right? Either, either thing. But even though Ryan wasn't coming back, God knew. We got, 
I got a chance to have Ryan back with the baby, but also a do-over with Ryan because he saw how much I loved the baby. We all love the baby to death. How much, and I was able to love him, even though he was in a tough place and couldn't really break free. He still, I was still able to love him by loving the baby, and that gave us a great bond and a, and a healing experience. God gave us another chance. And he used to break. I know he was breaking to my dad. He said, he's spoiling the baby just like he spoiled me. Some things I haven't learned yet. <laughs> In fact, Kim is always like, now everybody, we can't pick her up every time she cries. Or we can't, you know, let her fall asleep. You know, carrying her around. She's got to learn to fall asleep on her own. And all these things. And, and then I'll turn around and, you know, do my thing. And Emily, Emily's always calling me, Dad, what are we doing here? Didn't Mom just tell, talk to us about this? I'm confused. <laughs> what are we doing here? I know I say, I can't help it, I'm a grandpa. And I share it because that's the worst thing that could have happened to us. And yet, something beautiful is coming out of it. And even with Ryan, I had this bond and this closeness. Kim and I had this last, you know, six months with him with a baby. And it was, it was just eight months, whatever it was. And it was just beautiful. We finally were, had him, I felt like we were back together again. With God, we can all get another chance. Everyone. To turn our failures into success. Even if it doesn't come out just the way we would write it up. Somehow, God's grace brings something beautiful out of something bad. If we take the spiritual steps needed, there has to be the humility. God, this is where I messed up. We have to see it. There has to be the obedience. Let God refine us and be obedient to what he's telling us. There has to be the dependence. The dependence. And then the holiness. The holiness is very, very important. How is God speaking to us about these steps to turning our failures into success? To let him turn our life around. Maybe you're here today. And you need to take the very first step. The very first step is a step of faith. The very first step is to act on God's love and to give our life to Jesus Christ, to surrender our sin to him, and to, give, to surrender our life to him, and to let him give us a brand new life. Have you ever taken that step of faith? John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. You can have that new life right now. Let's pray. How is God speaking to us?
Maybe you came in here today and your life is a mess. Join the club. We all came to the cross that way. But God is the ultimate junk artist. He's just waiting for us to surrender the junk to him. To give our life to him. To put our faith in him. You can do that right now. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Right where you are at this very moment, you can have that life by acting on God's love. Just say, God, I need to be forgiven. I repent of that old life. I repent of my sins. I repent of everything I've done in my life that goes against your word and your will for my life. I repent. I ask you to forgive me. I'm putting my faith in Jesus, your son, who died on the cross in my place, who rose from the dead so that I could have a new life in Jesus Christ. I put my faith in him. I give my life to you, God. I'm going to follow you. If you have prayed that prayer of faith, wherever you are, whatever you carried in, whatever you've done, it is forgiven, and you are now under the blood of Jesus Christ. You are now a child of God. His Holy Spirit is living in you. And he's going to change your life in ways that you can't even imagine. I want to ask you to let somebody know you've taken that step of faith. Maybe you came with a friend or family member. Maybe you tell me on the way out, you fill out the card in the bulletin, text, call, let somebody know about your new life in Christ so that we can be excited and encourage you in your new life. For those of us who have put our faith in Christ already, how is the Holy Spirit speaking to us this morning? What step is God calling us to take so that he can turn our lives around, so that he can maximize the blessings in our life and maximize the, our, the blessing of our life into other people, so that he can touch other people that are hurting and struggling and have fallen. How is God calling us? What is he calling us to do? Will we be obedient?
Will we be humble? Will we be dependent? Will we be holy? Father, we pray that your Holy Spirit would take your word and bear fruit through it. That we would just hear this and walk away and forget about it, but it would be something that would, your Spirit would keep bringing back and keep convicting us and keep encouraging us. I pray that your love, the love of your Son Jesus would just pour into us and through us in a powerful way. I pray that in Jesus' name.